1: Welcome to Hollywood and Levine. Yes, welcome indeed. I am Ken Levine, your podcast host. Good guest this week, Matt Myra, is with me. Now, Matt is the host of the CBS All Access After Star Trek show. He has also been the host of the Nerdist podcast for like 10 years. He's actually involved with like 20 podcasts. I don't know how he does it, one of which is with Kevin Smith, and that's how I first got to know him when I was a guest with Kevin Smith. And in addition to all of that, he is a writer on staff of the Goldbergs on ABC. The man is fast becoming a media legend. I was able to catch up with him between writing a script, flying to New York, trying to have a baby, and I think performing brain surgery. It's really a very fascinating interview. He talks about breaking into the business, which he does in a very unusual way. Talks about his various projects, Star Trek, obviously, the Goldbergs, obviously, commuting to New York from LA every single week. Also has some tips for navigating this new multi-platform landscape that we find ourselves in. Okay, so you're going to enjoy it. Matt Myra this week on Hollywood and the Vine. Okay, so the first thing I got to ask you about is Kevin Smith and how he's doing these days after that heart attack. Well, Ken, I'm happy to report Kevin is
0: probably the healthiest Kevin I've ever known now. He's lost, uh, oh God, it's probably 40%. Two pounds wow. by now. And we're talking just a few months. Oh, we're talking a little... Yeah, over a little over two months. Wow. It's remarkable. I saw him... He was supposed to direct the the finale of the Goldbergs. So we saw him on Friday for the table read. Right. And we were supposed to shoot on Monday. Oh, wow. And Sunday... It was that And week. it was Sunday night that uh, I got a text from our showrunner asking about Kevin. Um, and I said what are you talking about and he's like something happened to Kev I'm not sure exactly what but I don't know I don't think he's going to be directing the show this week Uh, so I then Went to Twitter as you do for news. <laughs> doesn't matter. I go to Instagram, doesn't, but okay, sure, sure. Yeah, it doesn't <laughs> matter how close you are with an individual. Yeah, go to Twitter, uh, and I went and 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 did a scan of Kevin's name, and I saw a few tweets of people that had been there at the show in Glendale for his stand up uh, special taping, uh, saying something about him having uh, being taken away in an ambulance. So. I do a little more reading, and I find out that oh man, Kevin's had a heart attack. So, I text our friend, mutual friend Scott Mosier, who you know Kevin and Scott came up together. They did sure. clerks. He produced station, yeah everything. Say yeah. He's produced everything. Uh, and Scott was Scott's in Paris, so I knew that his timeline was a little different than mine. So I was like, hey. I just heard this thing about Kevin. I don't know Kevin sure had a
1: heart attack, but is <laughs> yeah. your trip. I don't know
0: how. Yeah. He's living there now, so yeah. he's really having a time, that's got. Um, but I text. I also texted Kevin, and it went through and it said delivered. So I was like, okay, his phone's on. He's probably <laughs> he's doing not, he's okay. He's I feel like when you die, working. your phone turns off. Right. Um, and uh, I, heard, uh, I heard from Kevin the next morning. And it was just like a very, it was a very funny text. It was sounded like Kevin. And, uh, we then, I saw him about a week later, we went and did a podcast and, uh, I was just, he was he just so joyful. He was just
1: grateful Sure, yeah. I mean, and, you're yeah. like playing with house money now. Yeah. And How did he have to change his life? Did he have to change his <laughs> diet? Uh, yes. Get more exercise? Yeah. He's able to do that? Yes and yes. So like in the old days, they'd
0: have to slice you open right down the middle. Yeah. And you'd be in the hospital for weeks. Weeks. Weeks yeah. and weeks. Mm-hmm. And now, uh, through the wonders of surgical advancements and technology, they can just pull an artery uh, and and stent you and do everything without having to open you up. Tommy John. It's ridiculous. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's, the recovery is even much faster than Tommy John is now, I'm telling right. you. He was out of the hospital in two days. Amazing. And felt like a million bucks because the blood Probably was felt finally, better. Yes, yeah. he did. Because yeah. the blood was pumping through. Uh, and as his doctor said to him, and he relayed to me, it's called the Widowmaker for a reason and nowadays people just feel like they can do anything and in the old days people would have to be in a hospital recovering so it would really shock their system and they would change sure so yeah his advice to kevin was lose this weight we need you to get healthier and uh he's done it he's doing it he's doing a great job yeah
1: congratulations way to go Kev okay so let's talk about you yeah yeah so you have done so many different things with your podcasts tv Mm. things writing what did you want to be (laughs) when when you came out here uh well did you want to be a writer did you want to be Conan O'Brien to be the writer who then became the performer that's an excellent question
0: I always wanted to be a writer I came out here. I remember my mother asking me what I wanted to do, and me telling her, I want to be a comedy writer. I would like to convert to Judaism. This is what I said to her when I was 10 years old because I had seen a Your Show of Shows writers panel special on PBS. Uh huh. And it was Sid Caesar, Mel Brooks, Carl Reiner, Woody Allen. And I was Larry just like, Jerry Gelbart, yeah. I was yeah. just like, oh the through line here. I was just trying to piece it together. I was like, uh-huh. the through line here is they're all Jewish. So <laughs> mom, I'd like to be a comedy writer. I need to be Jewish. Please. Can I convert? You know, this is coming from a Catholic kid outside of Boston. Uh, my mother, how did you su- react? She to that? surprisingly humored me and she had gotten me a book, which was Judaism for dummies. Like she, there was a Judaism <laughs> for dummies book and she said here, you know, if you're serious about this, read this and 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 tell me what you think. So, I start going through it and I'm just like, "Oh, this is they only have the first half of the Bible." <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, as a young, you know, I went to Catholic school as a kid too, which was also entertaining but i you know i read it and i just became so lazy with the idea i was like maybe i don't need to actually be jewish and just sort of figure it out i think we all have the How'd same you do, eat at delis i think we have yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i think we the catholics and the jews share a lot well of you guilt. got the guilt you yeah. got that part down 100 yeah. um so it just sort of went by the wayside and i decided to figure out how to become a writer without having to convert Uh, so, you know, when I was in college, this was in the early aughts, uh, it's like 2001, 2002, I, um, decided that I wanted to be a showrunner. Like I was like, oh, what I want to do is I want to be a showrunner. I want to, I want to run a show. Uh, and I would tell my professor this and he would be very confused because it was a film school (laughs) (laughs) and everyone's trying to write screenplays and i just was like how about instead of a screenplay i write a television they look
1: down on you for wanting to do comedy they were confused by the whole situation yeah Yeah, that that's what i got because you know usually film school everything has to be important you know and and you go well you know i want to be rob Petrie, and you know they all want to be kurosawa (laughs) Uh, to be
0: rob Petrie. I always wonder what his commute was. I know there was that episode where he lost the script on the train. So I'm guessing he took a train most of the time into the city. Right.
1: right. <laughs> but I always wanted, you know, you can't go to New Rochelle and get on a train <laughs> and and do that.
0: I know, but I always thought he would draw I you know, I always wondered that as a kid. Not like, like the Jetsons. He get into the city? How does he do that? <laughs> um but yeah, I wanted to be a showrunner, and my instructor my professor he allowed he was like okay if you want to write a script i have to figure out what that format is so do you have any that i can read and i was like yeah here's um what did i give him i think i gave him a scrubs okay uh maybe the ricky gervais office okay and some other script i had downloaded off of the early internet And he read them and was like, okay, well, they need to be about this length and give me something. What do you got? So I wrote a Scrubs. Like, that was my, that was what I did. I was like, I'm going to write a Scrubs. not like you wrote a
1: Webster. Yeah. Yeah. I
0: wrote an episode (laughs) of Scrubs that I have only the cold open of at my house. I don't know where the rest of the script went. Uh Uh-huh. But uh, he seemed to enjoy it enough to pass me. I got an A. And I felt like I'd really pulled something over on everybody because I only had to write uh, 37 pages. They had to write 120. <laughs> Joke's on them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and then I sort of was like, okay, so now what do I do? I'll move to L.A. That's the plan. Uh-huh. And I went. I just I just packed up and was like, I'm good. So how did you break in? Uh, well... It's a weird it's a weird twisted tale that involves the Apple Store. I moved to LA without a job. I had spent 4 years previously in school and working at a funeral home. <laughs> so that was enjoyable, but when I decided to move to LA, I said, "Oh, I'll get a job at a Starbucks or an Apple Store because those are the two places that offer health insurance for part-time people." You bet. And uh, there are also places that I know, you know, people need them. So, you know, maybe someone comes in right. who, who I can befriend. Uh-huh. Uh <laughs> That was my plan. I didn't know it would work so well. So I went and got a job at the Grove at the Apple store. Okay. And that is where I met Chris Hardwick. Um, and that is where I met Jimmy Dore and Todd Glass, who were... Two great comedians. So I came out here, started working at the Apple store as a Mac genius. Started doing open mics. I was like, I have to do something. Okay, so you're a stand-up, too. I got to uh-huh. keep the brain going, so right. I'll do stand-up. So I started doing open mics. I would go to the UCB constantly, just absorb any comedy I could. I think the first year I was in L.A., I went to f- 60-something wow. UCB shows. okay. And... Uh, started to befriend everybody, and then I became known as like, oh, he can hold the conversation, and he's a Mac genius, so let's go visit <laughs> Matt uh, whenever we need an iPod fixed or a laptop battery replaced. So everyone did, and it was about a you can a year. Uh, update my Adobe while you're here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> and it was about a year or so into working at the Apple Store that I started doing podcasts. It was in two thousand and eight I started producing a podcast for Jimmy Dore and Todd Glass called Comedy and Everything Else. And okay. We did Eighty-eight episodes of that. And that podcast was great. We would have people like Jim Gaffigan or Norm MacDonald on, Paul F. Tompkins, just all these like great, hilarious people. Really the early days of podcasting. Yeah. I you mean You were pioneers. We did it. We were there in, in the in the O in the O's. <laughs> uh and it was about two years into doing that that chris hardwick said you know would you be interested in producing and being uh, on the microphone on the nerdist i want to start this podcast called the nerdist and i said absolutely um and i did and we started that podcast and it was immediately more successful than it deserved to be uh you know so many like downloads I still haven't been able to touch on my <laughs> other podcast hey, I was on there once so. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you know, we did that podcast, and I worked at the Apple Store still, and we wound up doing a pilot of that podcast for BBC America in two thousand and 11 or 12. Were you
1: continuing to write during this period? Were yeah, you still writing facts and I was, well, I was trying
0: things? to sort of... There's a danger. You sort of get away from your first... You get away from your goal. You get busy with other things. Right. So I found that I felt like I was being fulfilled comedy-wise by doing these podcasts and doing stand-up. So I just sort of dropped the writing. It just sort of went by the wayside. Okay. Um, and then when... BBC America said we'd like to do a show of the Nerdist television show. I was like, "Oh, okay, I can handle this." And I went in and uh met with one writer, Kristen Rutherford, who's fantastic, and she and I essentially wrote that first episode cuz Hardwick was too busy and Jonah was busy. I think Jonah was working on Cock soup or something at that point. Okay, so he was busy with a day job, and I was like, "Well, I'll just take a week or two off from the Apple Store and write a pilot," <laughs> 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 which I did, and and we did, and it went on the air. So from there, it aired. I was still at the Apple Store, and it started to get weird at the Apple Store where people were coming in who were fans of the podcast. Okay, and they recognize you exactly. So there just was this sort of disconnect in my brain of like, why am I still (laughs) fixing (laughs) computers when people are coming in and they know me? Meryl
1: (laughs) Streep, what are you doing here at the Cheesecake Factory as my waitress? (laughs) Well, I started here, so I just thought... um, Andy Kaufman. Andy (laughs) Kaufman, even when he was on taxi on Tuesday nights, every Tuesday night, was... A busboy at Jerry's Deli in the Valley. Oh, my God. Yeah. All through taxi and all through the halcyon days of his career, on Tuesday nights, you know, you would see him with the bucket going up and clearing <laughs> tables. Yeah.
0: It's amazing. Yeah. Did he start, that he started there and just didn't want to quit? Was that sort of it or was it just a Kaufman uh, thing? It's Andy Kaufman. It was a Kaufman uh, yeah, thing. Yeah. Yeah, There's I no have, one can explain. I have no, no idea. No one can explain. Yeah. Um, but the, sort of the straw that broke the camel's back or sort of like the, that pushed me out the door at Apple, I was downstairs going into the break room and a guy was there with pushing a child in a, in a carriage and his wife was there. And he saw me going into the back. He was waiting for the elevator to go upstairs. There's two floors at the Grove Apple Store. And he saw me, eyes went wide, and he asked if we could take a photo. <laughs> and he handed me his baby. <laughs> so I'm sitting there in my Mac Genius thing with a lanyard and where I'm holding this guy's baby and we take a picture together. His wife takes the picture and I say, thank you. That's that. And I go in and there was one of my coworkers was there, saw the whole thing. and was like, he's like, this is crazy. What are you doing? (laughs) (laughs) What are you doing? And it wasn't like, you know, it wasn't every day, certainly. But, you know, the people that come that know you from podcasts,
1: they feel like they really know you because you're in their head you're in their heads and podcasts tend to be pretty revealing yeah you know i mean you have that podcast you and your wife yeah the excellent adventure, adventure yeah. uh talking about uh, fertility yeah. and you know having a how's that going <laughs> it's going great ken we're about to do round five uh
0: yeah my wife and i have been going through ivf for oh god i mean since we've been married like we don't know marriage without Infertility. Uh-huh. It's been a long, crazy process. There have been a lot of ups and downs, and they're all available to listen to on iTunes. <laughs> it's, it's been great because there's been a lot of people reaching out to us. No one was talking about it. Everyone was, like, keeping it sort of, like, to themselves, not even telling their family members they're going through it. There was some sort of stigmatism of it being embarrassing that... Um, sort of broke when i talked about it on the nerdist podcast we did a live show in san diego and i talked about my sperm being dumb and like me thinking i had great sperm when my doctor told me i had a million that was my count Uh i was like this is amazing i have a million i don't Mm. have a million of anything (laughs) and uh, he's like well normal sperm counts 80 to 120 million i was like oh if you would have converted
1: okay (laughs) i'm
0: just saying uh i ended up marrying a a jew so she's uh she's really helping me out here okay you should should be up to two million (laughs) um but it was when i told that story on the podcast that people started reaching out going like i'm so glad you're talking about this no one ever talks about this and my wife uh said hey we should maybe we should do this as a podcast and i said that's ridiculous no one wants to hear that and she's like no i think we should do it i was like i'll put out a twitter poll And if it's over 60%, then I'll do it. And I put out the poll. And it was like 83% of the people that follow me wanted me to do this podcast with my wife.
1: So I blame them for all of this. Now, do you ever say anything or does she ever say anything on the podcast where you go, Ooh, gee, honey. (laughs) (laughs) You You know, know, that's kind of uh,
0: between uh, you and me, isn't it? It's funny you say that. We have a lot of those moments but we always leave them in Uh uh-huh we're like brutally honest on that podcast
1: which is probably the
0: attraction yeah it's the way to go too because it's like everyone who's going through ivf it is it is such a grind it really is a grind and we're now into our fifth round and it's like you know not only is it like 25 30 grand a pop out-of-pocket because, you know, you can't find medical insurance that covers infertility right. in California. Right. Um, Don't you kind of make that money on the Blue Apron commercial, <laughs> so? Hello Fresh use the promo code EXCELLENT. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, you know, it's so funny. The advertising that we do on that podcast, it, it essentially just, like, sort of keeps the lights on on the podcast, and then you're just like, oh, my God, this is so... If I... I can't imagine a world where, where I ha- I don't have good credit and can't keep pushing balances left and right on zero percent uh-huh. balance offers. Like uh-huh. I can't. I don't know how we would afford this <laughs> if we weren't both with great credit, just pushing zero percent balance offers left <laughs> and right. It's insane. It's brutal. And uh, but we're honest about it, and I think that's what people like about it. And we've heard from so many thousands
1: of people. That just, You're uh, providing a service. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You really are. So, how'd you get the Goldbergs? How'd you become the, a writer on the Goldbergs? The
0: Goldbergs is uh, again. If you thing.
1: would have converted, I know you would be would show running it se- by now. I
0: would have been there season yeah. one instead of getting Ex- on season four. Exactly.
1: Uh, I guess we. I guess we need to have one Shagets on the uh, <laughs> on
0: the staff. The Goldbergs. Interestingly enough, Adam F. Goldberg, the showrunner of the Goldbergs, it's his life, it's his family. That's the story we're telling over there. It's the it's a Jewish family in the 80s in the greater Philadelphia area. Mm-hmm. Um, and he told me later on that he was a, he listened to the Nerdist podcast and he would come into the Apple store.
1: Oh, and wow. And he would
0: be nervous huh. when I would be there fixing his computer. Uh-huh. And to this day in the writer's room... Every, I would say once a month, he does an impression of me at the Apple store <laughs> for the whole room. <laughs> which is just, it is a it is me just uh, putting my hand up to him and going like, let me see it. And just <laughs> grabbing his computer and not even saying anything and just turning it back around and going like, here you go. <laughs> like, just not even acknowledging him as a person. <laughs> um, but the Goldbergs came about, I had... Um, it was after I was on at midnight on Comedy Central for a long time, like two and a half years of that show. So that's—I don't know how many episodes we did. Two, I did 200 and some right. episodes of that show. With it was Chris. on four days. Yeah. yeah, it was on four days a, a week on Comedy Central, and it just became such a repetitive act to me. These jokes, I was like, it's the same structure. It's the same grind. It's how many hashtags can I come up with, <laughs> you know, like uh, make, a movie, make a movie dumb or something like that? And then it's like, oh, well, you'd, how would you do that? Well, all right. Then you have to come up with examples of that. And we would have written, for every show that we did, we would have about 10 pages of jokes. Wow. That the comedians could pick from oh, if they okay. wanted to. Oh, okay. Wow, okay. Yeah. So if they wanted it, they're there. This is how the joke works. This is the joke structure you should have. Also, if you'd like to use any of these, go for it. And a lot of them, I would say all the all the guys and gals that would win all the time and were great at the show, right? They would write their own, I will say. Like so like Ron Funches and like Doug Benson and uh, Nikki Glaser like
1: all of those people would just I would probably do the same thing. Yeah, I, I would too. Write I would my be own stuff. I'd be like no, I'm yeah. going to write
0: my own stuff. But you know there were a lot of people that would pick, and a lot of people that would just use it as a jumping-off point. Right. But we'd have ten pages of those every day, and I was like two hundred episodes into it. I'm like, we, I've been around for <laughs> two thousand pages of jokes, <laughs> two thousand pages of the same jokes. Like I cannot <laughs> do
1: this anymore. Five percent of which oh. have been used. It's yeah, yeah. A,
0: a, a, and you, I would just go okay, <laughs> and it would just start to weigh on me, and I would just. It would grind me down. My wife would be like, why are you so miserable every time you come home? And I'd be like, I don't know. I had to do a 9,000th joke about BuzzFeed today. (laughs) Like, I just can't do this anymore. And she's like, take, she's like, just take a cycle off. So, you know, in the late night world, you're on 12 week contracts and 12 week cycles. Mm -hmm. Um, I was like, oh, maybe I should do that. She's like, do it you'll be happier i'll be happier <laughs> i was like okay so i take a cycle off from at midnight and then i get the email 12 weeks later it's like hey you're gonna come back and i go no <laughs> i'm getting <laughs> i'm getting married I don't, you know it's like gonna be a whole thing i'd have to take two weeks off i don't want i can't come back so when i as soon as i say no i then start panicking I'm like, I'm a writer who just turned down writing work. Like, steady television writing work. What is wrong with me? Right. So that's when I started therapy. And that's also when I started to crack down and start going like, I want to get into scripted. Why am I not writing scripts? Then I started writing and writing and writing. And it was my wife who said, why don't you email Adam Goldberg and just tell him... That you want to do something in and sort of like just, and I was like, okay, it's a reasonable idea. Uh, and I remember emailing Adam in like December of whatever year The Force Awakens came out. <laughs> That's how I remember things. Uh, because- I remember
1: things by World Series <laughs> champions. So I understand what you're saying. Yeah. Uh,
0: so, but I the reason I remember it is he he had done an episode of the Nerdist podcast and he and I had really hit it off. And uh, it was during an off cycle. I was just not on at midnight and I just went to this podcast. And I was like, oh, I'll just go to this one, whatever. And we hit it off and I just, he's like, oh, here, I want to, he's like, anytime you have anything for me to read, please send it my way. I'll take, let's exchange emails. So we do. And every so often we would touch base about some nerdy thing. And then when my wife said, reach out to Adam, because I always hated being the guy who was asking, like right. putting out feelers. I always hated that. I, to my detriment, I think, in my career, I just have never wanted to bother anyone. I'm always like, uh, uh, maybe, <laughs> I don't know. But it was when Dory, my wife, said to me, she's like, email Adam. Just email Adam. Just do it. Just tell him you wrote the script and, and send, send it to him if he, if he wants it. And I was like, I'll just email him. Fine. I do it, and then, 45 minutes later, he emails me back, and he's like, we're actually, he's like, we're working on a pilot right now, can you pitch us some jokes on this? Here, just read this and pitch us jokes, so... I'm like, oh shoot! I was supposed to go see The Force Awakens opening night. Uh, you know what? I'm just gonna. I'll just sit down with the script and
1: do that instead.
0: <laughs> it was one of those moments where my. It's not nerd a Broadway
1: thing, play, yeah, you it's know? Not going it, away. It'll be there again in four hours. <laughs> <laughs> so
0: I sit down, crack the script open, and I send him six pages of jokes, and I send him off. And he, an hour after that, he emails me back. He's like, these are all amazing. I think we're going to use everything you sent us. Uh, Do you have a spec or anything like that? And I was like, I do. Oh, this is interesting. (laughs) I sure do. Um, So I emailed him my spec and... Well, we, oh, that was, it was spec the Spec Scrubs? The, no, I emailed him a Spec Pilot. Okay. About the Genius Bar. Oh, okay. Right. Which is right up his alley, because mm-hmm. why not? Um, and I sent him that, and he's like, listen, if, we can, if I can figure out a spot for you, I'm going to try to figure out a spot for you. Um, but be patient, because it's the middle of the season now, and so on and so forth. And so that was in December. And the season starts in May. hmm So May rolls around. He's trying to get me in. He can't get me in. Then August rolls around, and he somehow finds the money somewhere <laughs> to bring uh, me and Eric Weiner in together as a team. And... Uh, We said, "Oh, all right." I talked to Eric. So, paper partners, essentially. We're just we're a good real team. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Eric and I we met previous (laughs) to working there, and we talked, and we hit it off, and we would see each other fairly frequently in that four month period leading up to when we actually got in the room. Okay. And uh, you know, August rolled around, and he. I was at a Dodger game, I remember he like, text me, and I'm like, oh, oh, wow, it's happening. So he's like, I think you're going to start Monday. And I was like, this is fantastic, <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, so I say, honey, I can't do whatever the hell I was doing, and I'm going to start over at the Goldbergs on Monday. So Eric and I start, and we've been there ever since now. We've done two seasons. We're going back for the sixth season. We're no longer a team. We've split, uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, it's just been a—it's been a sort of like the dream was to work in a scripted room, and it's fascinating how different it works from late night. I find it so fascinating. Just the in what way? Well, I feel like writers, scripted writers, are so much more precious. About their words than, mm, than a, yeah, uh-huh. a late-night writer is. right, And part of that, I think, is the fact that in the late-night room, you're just grinding out the episodes. Right. You're doing four or five in a week. Right. And you're not working on one script for four Yeah, months. you don't have a lot invested in it. Yeah, you're just yeah. like, whatever gets us home... Right. (laughs) This is going to be great. Because if the joke isn't great, we can do a great joke tomorrow. (laughs) (laughs) And it's so, and it's also like in a late night room, there's a lot more, at least between at midnight and the Goldbergs, I find that there was a lot more, uh, fucking around and a lot more ribbing of each other in the late night room than there is in the scripted room. Yeah. And also there's more to do. There's a little more to do. But there's also like no, the other thing, the other benefit to a late night room versus a, well, benefit for how each show works. I suppose they're both beneficial to how each works. There's no real hierarchy in a late night room because you're all staff writers and there's a head writer. Uh, Okay. That's it. So there's no, you don't have to deal with you know, we need a room with an EP and like the number two guy and you're just like everyone's ego. You have to deal with each ego to get something through. Right. And you have to navigate that, which took me, I would say probably three months to really Mm -hmm. absorb and learn. Right. Um, And also to shut up and just sort of like absorb what's happening and just go with the flow of the room. That's all you do. I, I say to people now that when they ask me, like, "What do you what What's the best advice you have for someone who's starting in a writer's room?" And I say, "Your job on a show is just to make the showrunner's life a little bit easier. If you can just make the showrunner's life a little bit easier, you're doing your job." <laughs> Good advice. It's, I mean, that's really yeah. all there is to it. But in a late night room, it's like if you can, you know, if you can get the joke out. As quick as humanly possible, then you're doing your job. Like it's just it, it's a it's an interesting sort of shift. But there's oh, it's so much more political too in a in a scripted room. I think.
1: Oh yeah, it's crazy. oh yeah. Well, you know, you want to be the favorite, and you're kind of in competition sure. with your other writers, <laughs> and you know, you read their draft, and you go, oh, god <laughs> you know, yeah, I, uh, I the dreaded I know. writers' draft. I know. Okay. So, um, you also moonlight by doing <laughs> podcasts still and, yeah. you know, uh, co hosting the podcast mm-hmm. with Kevin Smith, mm-hmm. which is how I first got a chance to meet you. Mm-hmm. And then you go off and you do the <laughs> Star Trek after show. Yeah. Uh, how did that come about? They do that in New York, they do. right? They do that. So, we you have to, like, commute to New York. Every weekend. Every-,
0: <laughs> Every weekend. We would shoot on Sunday nights. So my week would be essentially, I, would, I didn't miss a second of the Goldbergs writer's room either. Right. Friday night, I would have a red eye and I would leave the room Friday night. My flight would be at 8.30, 9 o'clock. So most nights, I was leaving the room on time. Some nights, I was like, sorry, guys. Yeah. Good luck. <laughs> I'm going. Uh, so I would fly on the red eye. Saturday, I would get to New York, Saturday morning, I'd get to the hotel, sort of check in on the script for the Sunday show. Yeah, it kind of helps to, like, sort of know... Yeah, know where we're going, going, what what episode we're talking about, all that stuff. And then Sunday, I'd go in during the day, and we would do the... We would read with the producers. Uh, We would talk about the pre-interview they've done with uh, all of the actors or writers that we were going to have on the show. Uh, And... We would shoot. We would go live at 9 p.m. East Coast time. And I would do the show, get out of my suit, go back to the hotel, and, you know, we'd do a live show. So I wouldn't get back to the hotel at 11. Maybe 11 o'clock, 11.30, I'm back at the hotel. And it's like, I've just done a live show. So you not right. go to sleep. Yeah, I'm yeah. like no, the is What something? am I doing? Yeah, right. And every Sunday night I would just walk from my hotel in Soho. I'd walk into the village and I'd go get a slice of pizza. <laughs> walk back, maybe, like, just keep walking. I would, so many times I would get so many steps in New York, like uh-huh. 20,000, 30,000 <laughs> steps. And at 4 a.m., the car would come to take me to the airport on Monday morning in New York. Right. So 4 a.m., I get in the car, go to the plane, get into my seat, put the mask over my eyes, go to sleep, land at LAX at 8.50 a.m., and I have just enough time to get coffee at Starbucks and get to the writer's room at Sony (laughs) Monday morning. Wow. No, they play you first class at least? Yes, thank God. okay. I I told him, I was like, if you actually want me to be a human being on this show, I need to
1: sleep. (laughs) I need to sleep. (laughs) How did you get that job?
0: Are Are you a huge Trekkie fan? I am. You know, I always have been. I've just been a huge Star Trek fan my whole life, through my mother. And... We always sort of joked about it on Nerdist and I would interview, I used to do this show called Attack of the Show on G4, which is a network that no longer exists. And on that show, I ended up, after Kevin, our host, left, I ended up sort of hosting a couple of weeks of the show and like doing interviews and I had started as the gadget guy. I would do the gadget reviews on the show. Uh Uh-huh. And then I ended up by the end of it, I was hosting, I was hosting <laughs> the show. Uh, but we would have on the some of the Star Trek people on when they were promoting the Blu-rays for the Next Generation, okay, coming out, mm-hmm. and I would interview them, and it was just so much fun for me. And they all seemed to enjoy me as a as a person. And those were the interviews that the. Uh, People, the Embassy Row people that were, and CBS that they saw, and they were like, "Oh, maybe there's it's, maybe this guy. Yeah, maybe get this, this guy. guy. Maybe uh-huh. this guy. He's in front of a television. He wears a tie." Uh, but my, this is the only job I've ever called my agent and said to him, and my manager, I was like, "There's gonna be an after show for this Star Trek. Find out who's doing it." And put my name in their head. Like, what Uh do I need to do to do this job? I'm so ready to do this job. Right. And uh, they went to work. And meanwhile, the EP of The Talking Dead, the show Hardwick does. Right. She listened to the IVF podcast. And knew me from that. Knew I love Star Trek from that. You build your own momentum, don't you? It ya? was insane. Yeah. And she's like, let's meet. Let's go talk about the show. I want you to, like, do something. And I thought I was going in to, like, consult. I was like, oh, I'll go be a consulting producer for this after show. Uh-huh. And then when I left that meeting, she was like, so start thinking about writers who know your voice. And I was like, "Well, oh, oh. <laughs> okay. Hmm. And v- very late in the game. So, this whole process was going on for July to probably the end of September when Star Trek Discovery premiered. It was like constantly like, who's doing the show? Am I doing the show? Is it still alive? I would call my agent. And finally, I was driving to work. The show was going to premiere the next weekend, and it was a Tuesday. And I was driving into the Goldbergs. I was cutting through. Uh, cheviot hills to get to sony (laughs) (laughs) and my phone rings and i look i'm like oh it's my agent i pick up the phone and they're like hey so we don't know what's happening still but they want you to go to the premiere of discovery at the arc light tonight and i'm like i'm i'm like what i'm driving to work i don't have a suit i don't know if i'm doing this job i'm like i guess i could go home and get a suit but i have to go write the goldbergs i'm like (laughs) i can't they're like you should just just do this So it wasn't until, so we went to that premiere on Tuesday, still didn't know if I was hosting the show. No one would tell me anything. Uh And then um, finally on Wednesday, we get the call that, yes, they'd like to offer you the show. I'm like, okay, uh, then I have to find an entertainment lawyer to do that deal. (laughs) And then (laughs) I, I wind up, they're like, you're flying, you're flying out Thursday, the next day, and the show starts Sunday. <laughs> so I was like, uh, okay. And I had told Adam, Adam F. Goldberg, about this possibility of this thing, and he, being the nerd that he is, was like, so like, oh, you have to do this. He's like, whatever it good, takes. Good for to do him. This. He's like, you yeah. have to go do this dumb after show. Yeah. And you know, when I got the call, I was like, I went into the office. I was like, listen, it shoots on Sundays. In New York, I (laughs) will be here Monday through Friday. I just need this Thursday and Friday off. And he's like, go. He's like, go. It's fine. Go. And he let me go, and I went. And they had to work out, like, this crazy thing with Sony because my contract with the Goldbergs was very specific about some things. And then Embassy Row turns out is owned by Sony. So that was a little easier oh, okay, than we sure. thought. Mm-hmm. And then uh, the only other thing we had to work out was I host a talk show also on, <laughs> on <laughs> Legendary's uh, digital platform called Project Alpha. It's called Sidekick with Matt Myra. I, I host that show. And in that contract, it says that I cannot do any other SVOD content. And so I called them and I was like, guys, it's Star Trek. And they were like, (laughs) we understand. So they let me, they also let me do it. Good deal. It was amazing. Everyone was just like, everyone was like pushing me off to Star Trek. They're like, go, we know, live your dream. (laughs) Go, young man. Talk about Star Trek for a living. Uh, And I did it. And it was 15 of the hardest weeks of my life because it was seven days a week of working. And it was flying across the country every single weekend.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and you wonder why you don't have a kid yet. (laughs) So final question, with all of these various projects that you have going, mm-hmm. where do you see yourself in five years? What do you ultimately want to do? Do you still want to be a showrunner? Like I said, do you want to be Conan O'Brien? Do you want to be a performer? That, what ultimately do you want to do? Mm, that's an excellent question.
0: And this is a question that my wife has asked me many times and my agent and manager ask me all the time. And I want in my heart i want to write but i feel like the rest of the world is pulling me into the hosting thing okay and i'm just trying to reconcile both of those things what i want to do in five years in five years i'd like to have a show on the air that i created okay um meanwhile i would like to still be doing after trek and i would like it to be shooting in los angeles (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> that's what i'd like i'd like to be talking about season six of star trek discovery whilst during the week running a show that i created <laughs>
1: okay and hosting the oscars <laughs> matt thank you very much for actually finding some time to do this oh ken it Appreciate was a pleasure it. you caught me during a hiatus <laughs> matt Myra. The hardest working man in show business. Wow. Thanks so much to Matt for being my guest. Also, thanks to Adam and Susie Meister Butler, to John Wolford, Howard Hoffman, and Randy thomas you can follow me on twitter at ken levine and you can email me anytime at hollywoodlevine at outlook.com again that is hollywoodlevine at outlook.com come back next week i am going to do a commentary track on a Frasier episode that i directed that is next week on hollywood and levine thanks so much for listening this week talk to you soon bye-bye hollywood